yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the questions, but I think they're way more difficult. Yeah, they really weren't meant to be stressful. Well, not stressful, but just complex. Question one is a good example of complex and deep. What's the one thing that you, if you could go back, would do differently as a dad? Well, first of all, I don't know any of us parents who start out thinking that we're going to commit ourselves to a uh, just being mediocre. Mm-hmm. I think all of us have high values. And I think Carol and I started with a, quite a bit of confidence that we're going to be really good parents. Mm-hmm. And then, um, as, as I heard someone say once, that they think children are God's best way to help us grow up. In retrospect, I look back and say, man, I wish, I wish. And it's not just one thing. But I think the one thing that immediately popped in my my mind was uh, I wish I would have spent more time figuring out and listening to what was going on on the inside instead of quickly responding to externals. But that takes time and it takes more patience when you dig for motivation and the fears and the hurts accompanying behavior or, or just in growing up. It takes time to, to hear your children. And I think you and Carrie both uh, have demonstrated something that I think that I admire and like and wish I could do over. So um, you feel that you responded to how we were behaving instead of maybe going deeper and going, what's wrong? See, it's easy to respond to the first thing, but it takes more time and energy to get to the second and third layer of what's going on. I think I should have listened more intuitively with my heart sometimes rather than just objectively with my brain. Mm. I think I could have spared you some of the pain you went through had I done that. Hmm. I don't feel, oh, if dad were a better dad then I wouldn't have been the way that I was. That that has not occurred to me. But I really like your answer. What I think may not have been what you kids wish I would have done differently. Uh, now, I, now I feel like you. Wow, I was not prepared to even respond to that one. This question you already answered years ago, but I want to hear how you answer it now. You took me to a cabin and you gave me the, the talk and I was horrified. Then you actually spent the time talking about something that left a permanent impact on me. And it was you explained why you chose Carol. So question two is, why did you choose my mom to be your wife, life partner, and so forth? Well, first step is it's kind of great if you just like each other as a beginning stages. And you, we always talk about just attractiveness and all those kinds of things, right? And everybody knows and understands that. Do they, though? <laughs> yeah. Well, do they do? Or, and you know what? Really, most of us choose life partners more intuitively than we do objectively. Mm-hmm. And later on, we discover, as we discover who we are, we understand more clearly why we picked who we did or mm-hmm. why they picked us. And uh, you've heard the old saying, opposites attract and then opposites attack. But Carol was just easier to like. She was pretty popular. She had good social skills. She was actually popular in school, and I had to wait a few years to be able to move in on her turf because she was engaged with other, in other relationships there. But my, your mom was very self-confident, not mm. arrogant, but self-confident in who she was, and she knew what she believed. And I think part of what I told you on our talk was her strength of character yes. was attractive to me. I needed that as a spouse, and you needed that as your mom. 
we shared similar values growing up. We both were from rural backgrounds. We both had the same church background. We both had the same kind of spiritual input. Our values and beliefs were, but were very different in how we process things. I just think when you're picking a spouse, character, way more than beauty, which will fade somewhat. It hasn't much with your mama, but, but you understand what I mean. You got to have character and chemistry. Yeah, and many people, in my opinion, emphasize chemistry at the expense of character. I have friends, and the guy just said, they seem so happily married, they seem in love, they're very romantic, and he said, well, we didn't really feel a lot when we started. We were just good friends, and we decided, this could work. And I, was, I looked at my wife like, help me, Jesus. But it has. In fact, it has at a level beyond many people who've cycled through multiple marriages who just think that love is a feeling, and as soon as they don't feel what they want, then they're out. Can I add one more thing? Yeah. Okay. I have a good friend, Bob. We're about the same age, and I don't know how many times he said, Norm, do you realize how lucky we are? Mm. He didn't use blessed or gifted. He says how lucky we are. He says, everybody thinks they know who they're getting married to, but people can hide, people can mask, people can have all kinds of issues subterranean stuff is going on that bubbles up and then destroys marriages. He said, you and I have both been so lucky. We both have married women that have actually developed and gotten better as they've aged versus marriages where they've disintegrated. Mm. And while it doesn't sound very spiritual to just call it lucky, we have been, I have been very fortunate as he has. We just, he, I bet you every other time we're together, he talks about how lucky we are to have the wives we have. The other day on his birthday, my friend Matty uh, was just counting his blessings, but he used this phrase that made me chuckle. He said, my wife Dorothy has continued to age like fine wine. Meanwhile, I age like a warm glass of milk in the sun. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Question That's three, in uh -huh. what ways are you and I alike and how are we not alike? Well, I think we're alike in that we both identify as males. <laughs> One of the first things that popped my mind is I think we both share a similar sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And we get it. And when people don't get my humor, it's really awkward to try to explain it. Then we get in trouble. And then we are in trouble, yes. So I think one of the things that I really think we're on the same page with his humor. So let me tell you a story. I, I was somewhere, I was maybe church or something. I was just goofing off. And I think it was Rod Bontrager shook his head and said, you're more like Norm than he is. <laughs> and I, I don't know if it was the way I speak, the way I move, the way I kid. I think you and I both, we like stories and we're really interested in people. It's intuitive for us to try to draw people out Am I wrong there? No, I think you're right. I don't know. We find people interesting. You more than me, though. Like, I'm more introverted than you. That's one thing I do think we're not alike. I'm answering your question for you. And I share an appreciation for the natural world. Oh, yes. And I really value that because I think you and I see little details in things. When I'm with you, we, we were out the cicada a few years ago at your place. We went out and explored and looked at those things and looked at the shells and we looked at the, you know, the exoskeleton. A lot of people our age, don't invest, investigate that as thoroughly as I think you do. And I enjoy doing. 
I'm frustrated I that they, I don't have an etymologist and an ornithologist who live near me and with me who can be answering all my questions because I have constant questions. What right. are those fish? How did they end up in this stream? Did they go from the Nanacoke out to the ocean? Is this their yes. breeding ground? How does that work? How old are they? How big do they get? How do they know to come back here? All that stuff. Is, you know, And I don't have an expert with me in my pocket and Google doesn't. I think last week... Uh, the little snake pictures I sent you, the black snake here in the backyard and the eyes. And you and I both appreciated that. And I find very few of the opposite gender who have the same level of appreciation. My friend Dawn, who loves snakes and has ingrained her children with a deep love of herpetology. Is that what it is? Uh, I reptiles? think it is. She would disagree with that. Well, it is a, it is a stereotype because I, I have people who females who really do appreciate them. I understand that. I have a deep fondness for planet Earth. I refer to this planet as the little blue planet, and I feel emotions just in even saying that phrase. Because if you look at our solar system and then you try to back up, I went through a, a season of awe and wonder at the size of the, of, of the known visible universe and the way it dwarfs us down to almost a molecular level that our little blue planet's capacity to support carbon-based life and a little atmosphere and a temperature <laughs> set that's just right. I just love thinking, more, more recently, Dad, I have had it be just this deep feeling of, of belonging here on planet Earth, that it's good to be alive. I belong here. I was actually designed to live in this environment. You know, like the Larry Norman, Jesus hippie from the 60s singing, don't ask me, I'm only visiting this planet. That sort of dominant Christian worldview of screw life in a body, a disgusting sinner's meat sack. Let's get to the platonic, the, the realm of the spirit where God dwells. And I go, you're just going to be real disappointed at the resurrection when you find out that life away from the body was never God's plan. That that was a holdover to get back to Genesis 2, where we have a, we, where we have a body and we have food to eat and we have work to do. So let's get going. I draw perpetual pleasure from the idea that heaven is not a church service. <laughs> I got some living to do, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, yeah. all right, yeah. Uh, well, how are we not alike? Well, first of all, I think when you were young, you were much more introverted. I don't see you nearly as introverted now. I think I've been always kind of comfortable in my skin with being around people. So there, there is some difference there, although I don't see that difference like I would have 20 years ago, right? But I think I have always been much more uh, inclined toward reading the newspaper, watching news, national news, being politically involved. I think you're kind of a late bloomer on that front. Am I right or not? Uh, for a few years, I would look at Google News every every day. Okay. Uh, but since maybe four years ago or so, something broke. And for my own peace of mind and spiritual health... I absorb what news I absorb through my friends and family, uh -huh. and I find that the information is so oversaturating that I'm hardly missing anything, except Junior for a problem. lot of things that would discourage and frustrate me. And I agree with you. The last few years, uh, I think my, my sense of, of happiness has been more threatened by being bathed and immersed in that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I've, I've moved in that direction as well. Things have become so editorialized and polarized, I guess is the word. The polar, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, another thing that I think you and I are different, I think all of my children and I are different in is I don't have patience for movies except on rare occasions. And my children all seem to, to enjoy movies. I just find them predictable usually. So in the first 10 minutes, I kind of predict where we're going. And then I spend two, three hours of what I could be doing. We both enjoy music, but the big difference there is you're far more gifted and talented than I am, and I envy that. I doubt that. I think I probably just no. developed it. Oh, well, I think I think there's a difference there. If you can, um, if you've got a good sense of rhythm, which you do, and you have a good sense of pitch, which you do, and then you just devote time to learning an instrument, which you didn't, I mean, that's as simple as that, I, as far I as I'm concerned. Raise three kids. <laughs> well, listen, I wasn't accusing you of being lazy. <laughs> uh, and you're way more scholarly than I am and a deeper thinker than I am. And I don't I think that's true, that. Norm. Well, your, your little talk just a little bit ago about the natural world, I said that's a good example. I mean, you did a perfect job of giving a, a brief, little, brief little summary of what you meant. That's great. I like it. By the way, while we're talking about that, uh, and it's kind of sad for me to have to tell you this, but I think I've read an article where it says that IQ, our children's IQ is more heavily weighted to the mother's genetics than the father's. So thank your mother, okay? You know, anytime I talk to mom, I feel like I am getting uh, some form of psychological education because she doesn't just say this happened. She will talk about the interpersonal, relational, and psychological motivations at play in the interaction. And then she'll even intersperse sociological observations about the group. And so by the time we're done, it I gives me a lot to process. All right. Okay. Next question. <laughs> Number four, which one of us kids did you like the best? And why was it Lynette? And why was it Lynette? <laughs> you know what? That one never dies. <laughs> well, we just all saw how she was a baby, and you're always sweet on her, and she could get away with... No, nah, not always get away with murder, but it seemed like you... You lit up with joy in your interactions with her perpetually. I talked to her the other night, and I told her that you asked me that question. I said, what I'm going to tell him is that, yeah, she actually was, but I was trying to hide it from the other two. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's not true, Tim. Let's go on the record. <laughs> you saw the youngest being doted over because mm -hmm. you didn't see me dote over you, but I did. I can pretty much assure you that there's no difference there but it's still fun to nurture that little concept and, and, well and and if you ask melody if i'm right she'll be like oh that's so true that is so true melody really? was the one who was and still probably is the overachiever you know she was getting straight a's in classes i think i was uh faking it and phoning it in you know i'm smart enough to read the room and give a pretend answer on an essay based on what i heard that the book probably said i didn't read the book i'm just still going to talk about it though because i'm supposed to Somehow I didn't fail. I don't know. And I don't know what Lynette did. Clean up messes and try to keep us all from hurting each other. And eat candy and drink soda. Gross. And wear those sweatpants. <laughs> Meanwhile, Melody's got like four different choirs she's in. <laughs> so you're essentially saying, that's a stupid question, Tim, that she wasn't the favorite. Uh, question five. Oh, dear. Is there anything you've never told me, but you should? That question kind of stumped me because, you know, are you looking for dark things? I have no idea. It's intentionally open-ended. Okay. Because I have talked to people just recently that had their parents say something that happened on their deathbed, call mm. them in and say something. What? And surprise and shock everybody, which gives explanation for some of the behavior things and stuff going on. 
And to be honest with you, Tim, I don't have anything. If I think of something that I think, I feel like I'm pretty open. If I think of something, I'll let you know. But right now, I'm. it's kind of a, a non-story, I guess. So I guess it, then the joke answer to question five would be the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> you know what I mean? That hadn't crossed my mind. Get your own Wi-Fi freeloader. Question six. This is actually a pretty interesting question. Do you think it's easier or harder to be a father now than when I was little? That is a very complex question. I don't think there was any period in history where it was easy. I'm suspicious that in every generation, the old people sit around and talk about the next generation being... It does seem like each generation laments how culture has changed. The lament, yeah. But let let me tell you why I think today is more difficult. I grew up pretty protected and isolated from the world in many ways. We didn't have television in our home ever until I was married. We didn't have radio till I was a teenager. So I was primarily influenced by my family. Wait a minute. You didn't have radio? No. I would sneak out and uh, listen to my brother's radios in the car till I was old enough to, you know, that's how I learned to do the Catholic rosary because I listened to the Catholic service out of Wichita on a Saturday night washing my brother's car. But But why? But our influence. Why didn't you have a radio? Why would you? The church we were in didn't allow for one thing. Okay, so so it's a was it a conservative Mennonite thing? That is correct, sir. So I'm just trying to show you how, how sheltered I was for much of my youth. So my primary influence was family, cousins, church three times a week, and then school. And then you put that in position to today where every little kid's running around with headsets on or earbuds in or playing on a screen. The influences are so multiple there's so much influencing and cluttering our kids brains that i i would wonder how i would parent so the answer is i think it's much more difficult in today's culture i think you guys have way more of a challenge in keeping some direction going in a meaningful and positive way because you are constantly are competing with all kinds of other voices i didn't realize the power you had dad over my identity. Uh, like there's a passage where it's in Ephesians where it says that the father from whom every family takes its name, and it just a, it's a throwaway expression to Paul, that he takes for granted that something in the nature of fathers, fathers are the ones who grant identity. And so with my kids recently, I've been much more mindful of how if I perceive that I'm concerned about where a behavior could go if it's developed wrongly, I'm careful not to label them. If I sense bad attitude, I don't want to name you. You're a rebel. You have a wicked heart because I'm a dad. So I have authority to name my sons. And I'd rather say, you're more than that. That's not who you are. You're a miller. So I don't want us parents to give away our authority or give up on our task because parents have a window of opportunity where we're really influential. And then there's a 10-year period from, from about age 16 to 26 where kids think you're idiots. And, and then they come back to you maybe in the 30s when life gets, beats the crap out of them and they realize you're not all full of it. You know. So you sure. got to weather those seasonal things but realize that like we have incredible authority and just have those conversations. You, you've several times talked about a throwaway phrase. And in Scripture, when you read Scripture, even in the Old Testament, 
about fathers teaching their children. Mm. In the Jewish tradition today, there is much more, uh, at least those that are serious about their faith, time spent, from what I understand, in, in teaching their kids. I think the way I grew up, it was kind of, kind of through osmosis a lot, too, because there was, the framework was so small that parents could, we could kind of get away with not being as intentional just as a dad. But in today's world, I think the dad has to really, if I could do something different, I probably would spend more time. And I think the next generation is going to have to increase that intensity about father's roles and responsibility in teaching your children. My wife is uh, way more diligent than I am at forcing the family to sit down and have Bible time. But then when we have that time, I'm the one who she wants to do the teaching. And it's, I'm very passionate about the idea of not having family Bible time be boring, that it should come from what I'm reading and drawing life from, right? and it should be conversational. I'm allergic to any kind of devotional books, never used them, probably won't ever. That's for other people. So read your Bible. For the love of God, please read your Bible. And I mean that, for the love of God. Read yes. your Bible. Listen to your Holy Spirit. And whatever he gives you, give that away to your kids. Like, did you read your, So pretty much my daily routine involves a couple hours of seeking God every day. But that still doesn't make me want to do it, Dad. When my wife says, hey, we're going to gather the family for family worship, they groan and I groan. And I don't know why. We all hate it together. Maybe the flesh just hates the spirit. I don't know. I don't know. But usually it's good. And often some of the kids start to groan because other of the kids make it go on longer by asking questions and actually engaging, you know, but, mm-hmm. but that's, Good. but scripture Good. says, talk about it in the morning, in the car, on yep. the way to school, put it on your door frames, wrap it on your, you know, put it in the tassels of your garment, put it on your heads. Be always talking yep. about my commands and the why, not just the what I said, but why did God say this? Exactly. Why did God say this? I think you're right. I think it's harder to parent today. And I think the reason it's harder is the, the loss of the idea that there is truth, that there is such a thing as moral knowledge, that, that morality is not in the opinion bracket, that it's actually in the fact bracket, and that Jesus is a repository of the apex of moral knowledge and truth. If Christians don't even know that Jesus is the, the wise sage who is the genius who understands best how life works, if Christians relegate Jesus to the minister of afterlife affairs instead of giving him rightful status as Lord now, I'm preaching basically. I'm sorry for that. Let me get on here to the next question. Question seven. Mm, I love this question. Is there anything that you wish that you could still ask Dave and Laura? Yeah. Why did you ever have me? <laughs> five boys. Yeah, five boys. Grew up in the plains of Kansas? Correct. Central Kansas, not western Kansas. My mom was western Kansas, yeah. There were lo- there are lots of questions. Some, some were just details earlier on when they passed. But the older I become, I think, my goodness, what were some of the hardest things they faced together? Dad had his whole dairy barn destroyed by tornadoes. They, they lost a child. They, had, they were ostracized when they left the Amish church. They had lots of things, but they rarely talked about those pains. Mm. Rarely. I'd like to find out who most influenced their thoughts of what they wanted to be when they were young. Mm. Who influenced them to make the choices they did? Someone always influences us. Who was it for them? How were they influenced the most? What were some of the biggest decisions they faced, and, and how did those turn out? Did any end up in failure, you know? Because they had farming issues. It's just a bunch of stuff like that. My mom 
lost two sisters, my mother was vigilant in letting Carol know that she does not take any of her babies to bed with her, because she did. She would have you in bed nursing or Melody, because her mama had twin twin girls, and they both died, and the story was that Grandma laid on them. She she rolled over or fell asleep or something, and but nobody ever talked about it. My mother said her mom would never talk about the grief and the remorse. I would just like to know more about some of the difficulties of the 30s in financial stuff that just what helped shape and form their lives, much of which I know nothing about. The Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl. Why did they leave the Amish church and, and join the Mennonite church? That was a big step. Huge. Wait, wasn't there a brother that came over and made fun of Grandma Laura's electric lights at some point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, stood around and made fun of it. It hurt her, hurt her pretty deeply that her own siblings would, would do that. But I didn't find that out till much later in life. That, that was the age of stoicism, I think, because they just kind of marched right on through the difficulty and the pain and stuff. And, and the, you didn't hear a lot of lament. So the tornadoes that destroyed uh, Grandpa Dave's dairy barn, his- they hid, the whole Herald remembers this, they all hid down in a, in a cave basement cellar out, a dirt, dirt cellar designed for storing fruit in the winter and tornado shelter. And they came up out of there and everything was gone. Yeah. So they went downstairs, there were yeah. loud noises and they came upstairs and there's no building. That's exactly right. Which is, my dad was very phlegmatic and pretty low-key. You could ramp him up in a hurry if you saw a tornado funnel, which I did. I remember one night, I said, Dad, you better come in here. And boy, he was there. In the, usually he would have sauntered in, but he was there in a flash because mm. he had some memories there. But he never talked about it much. So Lots nothing got Dave flustered except for maybe a tornado. <laughs> well, very few things did I. <laughs> How did you even find out about your great-grandma's kids, the the babies? If you said Grandma Laura didn't talk about it, did you mean she didn't talk about the emotional impact of it? She did not talk about the emotional impact of it because she said her mom never talked about it. When they dug up the graves in western Kansas, brought them in, her two little sisters were in the pile of 17 bones. They had a pile of bones they brought in, and, and those two little sisters were in that in that bunch. Can I just say that's a weird <laughs> thing to do? It is well, but who's going to take care of their cemetery? You show respect, and they didn't want the cemetery to just be totally neglected. Man, such practical concerns that I have not really had to work with. Well, it's true, and a lot of hurt and a lot of stuff being buried in the. We just didn't hear much about it. You did not process openly your grief mm. pre penicillin days, pre antibiotics. Question eight: What's the best thing I can do for you at this stage of our lives? Quit asking hard questions. <laughs> make me a sandwich. No, yeah, make me a sandwich. I think this will change as we get older and our needs change. Does that make sense? Yep. Because these stages, they said this stage of life, as those stages change, I think what I might want from you will change. But for right now, Carol and I are in good health. Thank the Lord. And I, I was, I said, my first response was uh, just keep on being the best dad and husband you can be because. Carol and I love the intensity and the passion and the carefulness with which you and Carrie both are investing in your children, your interaction with them, caring about what's best for them. The best gift you're giving me right now is seeing that you're doing well, very committed to your family. That's the best gift I can have is seeing you guys doing well. You know, it's not, I'm not being redundant or religious here when I simply say that there is no greater joy that Carol and I have than to hear that our children are walking in truth. Everything else is secondary. 
So till till we change some things, might I don't think we have any expectations of what you should do for us. Okay. And hopefully when you die, you'll go out in a big blaze of glory. Just all at once. <laughs> so it makes this, this question mute. <laughs> oh, yeah, like a rock star in a helicopter or something. I have, I have had that thought, though, that like to slowly lose your teeth and your eyesight and your hearing and your ability to even care whether there's hair coming out in, from in between your eyebrows and ears and nose... And then just now you can't have salt on your taters and you can't wipe your own butt and nothing's fun and you can't drive. Every day above ground is better than below ground. I go, I don't know if that's true. But anyway, <laughs> do you believe in heaven, friend? <laughs> okay, question nine. Is there anything that you wish had been different between us or that you would still like to change? Is there anything that you wish had been different between us? Yeah, I think if I look back at teenage years, that whole journey there, I wish it could have been different for both of us. What I'm really grateful for is that it is where it is today. I think when you made some changes there, the scripture that says, Behold, I make all things new, uh, became a reality. And uh, what I would like to change now is now that we're retired, I'd like to spend more time with you guys and your kids I think we're way overdue on that. That's the biggest thing that I can think of right now. But it seems like before you had a very fast pace. And now that you're retired, like what did you say in Sarasota every day is Friday or Saturday? Every day is Saturday. Saturday. Well, I had my brother tell me when I retired, he said, I don't want to ever, ever want you to talk about how busy you are that I retired. He said, it's so annoying for him. Everybody retires, just shakes their head and says, they just don't know how they could ever work. They're so busy now. So I, That's what I, my friend Adam said. His mom says... And I was like, Mom, what do you have to do today? Said, oh, I got to take a shower. I have to uh, wash the car. I have to go get groceries. I, 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 I'm just, I'm swamped. Question 10. When did you realize that you were truly a man and no longer a boy? <laughs> I think 14-ish, 13 hmm. to 14-ish. This is what I think of in my mind, which is kind of a weird story. But we were all sitting around the supper table one winter's night eating supper, and a lady came to the front door, knocked, and was in tears, was terribly distraught. She said she hit one of our cows, and she knows she broke the leg, and it's out there running around, and we've got to do something. She was in, she was crying. She was really upset, and everything picked up the pace at the house, and my dad grabbed the rifle, and he said, Norman, you're coming with me. So he and I went out in the pickup truck and tried to find out where these cattle had gone. And it was a steer that was hit. <clears throat> we found them in a field. This steer probably weighed 1,400 pounds, pretty good size, but not big enough yet to go to butcher. Had his back leg flopping around. So we knew we had to put him down. And my dad, if you knew my dad... This was, was 1963, very, by the way. That would be about right. You're right. 1963. My dad was very careful to be kind to animals. Mm -hmm. Never make animals suffer. He was very, way more obsessed with that than some fathers were. And he, he I could tell he was extremely troubled that this, this animal was running around with a back leg mm. flopping. So the objective was to put that animal down, get it out of its misery, and just get, get this project over with. We found him. But this guy was, was elusive enough that we couldn't get very close. With Back in those days, he didn't have good lighting. The lights were not nearly as bright as they are today. So you had a black steer with a black knight, and we were getting close with open sights on the rifle. We didn't have this light-collecting scopes they have nowadays. And Dad was a good shot, and he was all, he was actually 
called to neighbor to other neighbors to put an animal down because he was a good shot and he knew exactly what he wa- wanted yeah. to do. And I never heard of him having a problem. So we get there, and every time we just about get close enough that we could take a shot, the steer would move back into the dark again. And then we tried to drive inch our way closer. And we finally discovered that we couldn't get with any closer than about 80 to 100 yards. That was as close as the animal would let us get. That's far away with an open sight on a little rifle in the night. We finally had a shot. And Dad and I get out of the truck, and I hold a flashlight to try to get the sights. So he gets the shadow of the sights just right against this black head. All you can see is the the nose and the ears, I mean the, the horns, because in that everything was black on black. I'm, tr- I'm trying to tell you how complicated it was, okay? And Dad gets the gun up, and he shoots. And the steer raised his head about two inches and just kept looking at us. My dad turned and looked at me. He said, Norm, you're going to have to do this. My eyes aren't good enough to see the sights. And he handed me the gun. And he told me, tried to talk me through exactly where I was supposed to be. And I knew where I was supposed to be, but it was really hard to see. I pulled the trigger and he dropped, boom, over with. I'll never forget, my dad turned to me with a big smile on his face. He said, thank you. He said, I was afraid of what was going to happen. If we wound him or this, you know, it could have gone wrong. And it didn't. And I could tell that night, it's when I felt like I had graduated into being an adult. He trusted me to do it. And I came through. So your answer is 1963, age 14, when a lady randomly hits one of your steers and you hit the shot from how many, 80 yards, 100 yards? Not 80 yards, 80 feet. 80 feet, 80 feet. Right between the eyes, head on, right, head shot. So their skulls are not so thick as to repel. No, dad had a special bullet he used. He had a 22 short, not a 22 long. Uh, That's probably a weird story, but I felt that night I was no longer just a little boy going along holding mm-hmm. a flashlight, you know? Mm-hmm. I need to do this again and just story time with Dad because because some of those stories are are just weird enough. What I love about them is they're, they're interesting to li- real little kids. Like the one time you were, you wonder, what's it like to be a pig? So you, <laughs> so you, snuck, you, yeah, so you snuck out and <laughs> ate slop and rolled in the manure mud and... And then came <laughs> Grandma Laura freaks out, and I'm pretty sure you got sprayed down with a hose, probably spanked, and I don't no, know I at all. Spanked. You didn't get spanked? No. It was so stupid they didn't want to spank me. I think <laughs> there was enough intrigue with it that... What's it like to be a hog? Uh, not fun. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm not proud of that story. I can't believe I told you that one. So what, are, what are our kids' stories going to be, Dad? Like... I remember this one time I watched this video on my phone. See? Oh, my word. Really? (laughs) Really? Recently, I came across the idea that pretty much all of the learning is found in doing. The most satisfying, most enjoyable parts of life are found in doing. Not in planning, not in meetings talking about, but doing. Before you get creative, you sometimes have to get bored. And, and so, like, just creating conditions for boredom so that kids go out and get something done, get break something, sneak into something, build something, blow something up. Like, half the stuff I did as a, did as a kid is illegal now. All those, uh, 
hydrochloric acid aluminum two-liter bombs that we played with. Shoot, your dad probably gave you a gun when you were six and said, here, shoot this, you know. But you understood safety better then, too. Do you know what I mean? Well, kind of, but, you know, we did stupid things, too. I, dad wouldn't let me shoot the shotgun. So when everybody was gone, I got it down, loaded it, went out, and I caught a sparrow and tied it up with string to its legs. And it How was did you catch a sparrow? Oh, I don't remember. We got it. And it was and it was flying around trying to get away, but it was tethered. And it took the 12 gauge. I wanted to see how much it would kick because I heard stories of kicking. And that sucker blasted me back. And you know what? I never found any sparrow. All I found was feathers. I hit that sucker square on, flying in the air, and there was nothing but feathers and a string still attached to the tree. And why would I do that when mom and dad were gone? If I would have had any problem, it was, I mean, that was just stupid. Oh my goodness. Never mind. Let's just keep them on their phones. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I don't know what you're doing this afternoon, but uh, I hope you get real lucky. Just <laughs> extremely lucky. I wanted to tell you, I really thank you for initiating this. I want to thank you for the excellent questions. And I think it's special that you and I can talk about it. And I am not aware of very many fathers that have the privilege of having their son asking these kinds of questions. So thank you. Well, thanks for being the sort of person who I want to have a relationship with. I have friends that are just really grateful that they don't ever have to hang out with their dads. I'm actually going easy on you because question 11 was, what is your problem? Why are you the way that you are? And could you stop? <laughs> yeah, throw that in yet, just for the fun of it. That'd be hilarious. The whole hour and a half I've been talking to you, I've got a gecko trapped inside here. He climbs up the screen, then encounters an aluminum bar, and he struggles and struggles to try to climb around it, and he falls every time. I don't know when he's going to learn that getting above that thing is not going to be easy. <laughs>